You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Bob Buddy Asking, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hey everyone, this is the Epic Marvel Podcast, and my name is Curtis, I'm your host, and today I have an interview with Bob Budiansky. And if you've never heard of Bob before, it's probably because you're not that much of a Transformers fan. Or maybe you are a Transformers fan, but you've never really uh, dove in behind the scenes to figure out who created what and and just uh, how the Transformers came to be. Well, I suggest listening to this episode then, because you will find out a lot about Bob and his um, and his involvement in creating the Transformers universe as we know it today. And believe me, he is quite involved. He wrote the Marvel Transformers comic for a few years, and uh, that's what we talk about in this episode. We talk about um, just the behind the scenes of creating that comic, uh, some of his stories, the creating some of the original characters, and we just kind of go all over the place. And this is a good chance for you to learn about Transformers in a way that maybe you haven't experienced it before. And just before we dive into the interview, I want to promote our Patreon page at patreon.com slash thunderquack. And if you uh, if you pledge a, a few bucks a month, then you can uh, um, not only support the many great podcasts that are part of the Thunderquack Podcast Network, including the Epic Marvel Podcast, but also get access to a bunch of different um, interviews and uh, different reviews and different uh, spotlights from our various different podcasts. And I'm going to start putting up some Epic Collection um, dust jackets so that you can transform your your big chunky trade paperbacks that aren't epic collections into epic collections but that's just for the epic collection enthusiasts out there <laughs> like myself and anyway so so check that out if you can that'd be great this interview is a companion episode to transformers episode one more than meets the eye in which um, myself and my co-host peter discuss the first 13 issues of Marvel's Transformers comic book and you'll want to take a listen to that to hear a little bit more about um, the the specifics and then we kind of go into a lot of detail about about these comics. But anyway that's enough for me now here you can check out this interview with Bob Budiansky. Okay, so here's my first question for you. I just watched the episode of um, The Toys That Made Us about the Transformers, and I wanted to know how. what do you think of the actor that portrayed you in that show? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought he did a fine job. I was hoping for Tom Hanks, but I heard he was unavailable, so uh, <laughs> uh, that actor did a fine job. <laughs> that, that show was just fascinating, the whole history of the Transformers. Um, and, and, and your role in, in, in particular, can you tell me a little bit about having to come up with all of those concepts? Well, well luckily it was, you know, it was additive, you know, it wasn't like all at once. <laughs> I mean, initially there was a lot at once because initially uh, Hasbro approached Marvel and 
Jim Shooter, the editor-in-chief, and my boss at the time. I was a staff editor. Uh, that approached me, and I had to come up with um, the, the initial um, cast of characters, meaning 26 characters and uh, their profiles, their, their, their names and profiles over basically like a maybe a three-day period, perhaps four. It's been a while. So back in November of 83, I was given this assignment for a, over a weekend and had to turn it in like the following Monday. Wow. So uh, I, I believe we kept two of the names that were uh, left over from the first uh, person who was assigned by Jim Shooter to develop all these characters. That was Optimus Prime being one of the names that was left over. And then I had to do all the others. <laughs> so as far as um, to the bigger part of your question about like what was it like, I mean, it's hard to say you know, very succinctly what it was like, because again, it was, it was a additive process. So, you know, initially Hasbro provided Marvel with all of these actual toys because the initial line of, uh, of transformers were basically, um, picked up from uh, two Japanese toy companies, uh, Bandai, Bandai and uh, Takara. And so all, all Hasbro did was they rebranded them as transformers and they changed their paint color. So I was given the initial batch of toys I could see what they what they did as far as transforming from a robot into a vehicle of some sort, and uh, knew whether they were a a good guy, Autobot, or a bad guy, Decepticon, and uh, and then just based on what each character suggested to me, based on their look and whether they were good or bad, I came up with a whole bunch of names and uh, personality profiles, and then it kept growing from there for the next four to five years. So Hasbro's success translated into new lines of toys every few months. And each new line of toys, I had to go through the same process of uh, seeing what they look like. After a while, they ran out of toys themselves. They just just presented me model sheets, but the toys hadn't actually been manufactured yet. So they would give me model sheets of what the uh, toys would look like. And uh, and again, I looked at them and saw, what they, you know, saw how they uh, suggested things to my imagination at that time and came up with uh, names and profiles for them. And meanwhile, I was writing the comic book. So uh, as I wrote the comic, I continued to develop the, uh, the Transformers mythology in different directions. Uh, you know, it was just kind of a natural progression. A lot of the uh, concepts I came up with were, were basically answering the question, now that we've established how this initial batch of Transformers came to Earth, uh, how do I add yet another batch and yet another batch and yet another batch because every you know six months or so Hasbro will come out with another batch of toys I had to get them into the comic book uh, storyline and I had to figure out how could they possibly fit into the uh, pre-existing mythology about why they are on earth so I had to come up with new ideas to make that work so that's a long answer for a short question <laughs> one of those ideas you had was the creation of the uh, the matrix that, that yep, gave a yep, very feasible way for Autobots to be created in the comics. Yes, yes, that and the space bridge was another one I came up with. Uh, yeah, there were a couple of different things I brought into the into the storyline. The initial storyline, by the way, was not mine. It was uh, former Marvel editor in chief Jim Shooter. He, he initially developed the uh, the storyline that was the basis of everything to come on the Transformers. And that was the basis of the original four issue miniseries, right? And yes, very much so, yes. And you were editing that yes. miniseries at the time, right? Yes, yes. So I was um, I was a staff editor, and uh, given that I had already been involved in developing the Transformer 
profile, the names for the initial 26. Uh, I was a natural choice to edit the four-issue miniseries. Now, what does it take to get a comic book off the ground uh, from, your, from your perspective as editor? Well, there's, there's several different factors. So the, the first factor is you, get a, you have to have the company agree to publish it. So now in this case, Marvel had already made a deal with Hasbro, as it had been making lots of deals in the 1980s with lots of, lots of partners, whether it be toy companies, movie companies, uh, to adapt their movies. Uh, eventually we did, a, we did a deal with the National Football League. But anyway, right. so this was already a pre-established arrangement that we were gonna do a four-issue miniseries, uh, as we had done just a few years earlier with uh, G.I. Joe and Hasbro. So this kind of followed the same template. So that was a given. Okay, we're doing so that had gone through that process of being, you know, green lighted to become a four issue miniseries. And then the next step was to find a team, um, uh, an editor, which was me, and an artist, and a, and a writer. So um, now Transformers uh, miniseries was odd in the sense that the initial writer that we found, uh, who was a mainstay Marvel writer at the time, uh, Bill Mantlo, uh, yep. many people know him nowadays as the uh, co creator of Rocket Raccoon and some of the other characters appearing in the Marvel Universe movies. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, Bill Mantlo was the initial writer, a very talented individual. But uh, as I soon found out, uh, he burned out on writing that first issue. And um, so over the four-issue miniseries, I had three different writers, which is quite unusual. Usually you establish a team for a four-issue miniseries and they have an overall concept and they execute the miniseries and, and then they go on their merry way. But in this case... That was not to be because uh, each writer found it extremely challenging to get their minds around this pretty broad concept. This is, you know, basically bringing this warring civilization to Earth and making it somehow work in a in a four issue miniseries. And wow. so, um, by the time the fourth issue came around, I was working with uh, uh, one of, again another Marvel staff editor, Jim Salakrup. Uh, uh, so he was working as my writer. And I was pretty much dictating the stories to the writers uh, by this point because it was it was quite a quite a challenge for them to really get it. And I, you know, I I don't um, denigrate the writers in any sense. It was it was just that it was just one of these things that was kind of unwieldy for 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 the people I was working with. Sure. So I was working much more closely with the writers than editors typically do as far as uh, plotting the stories go. And did you have any um, sort of mandates or pressure from Hasbro as to what appeared in, in the comics? Well, I think Hasbro, you know, because of uh, their experience with Marvel uh, and G.I. Joe, they had a lot of uh, trust in what Marvel could do. So every time we came up with a plot, it had to go through Hasbro for their approval. I don't think that they had any... Oh, well, oh Actually, there was one significant problem they had with uh, the plot for issue number three. Um, which I'll get to in a moment. But gen- generally, you know, they, they approved the plots, you know, as long as we were treating their characters properly, uh, they were happy. They, you know, they weren't telling us, well, you know, Megatron has to do this and Optimus Prime has to do that. that they weren't getting into micromanaging it. They just wanted to make sure their characters were being treated well and, and uh, represented fairly and the stories were appropriate for the age group that that uh, their, their toys were aimed at. And I think we did a very good job on that. Mm-hmm. The problem that came up was uh, Jim Salakrup, as I said, was the writer for issue three and four. And um, in issue three, when Jim took over the took over the miniseries as the writer, he came up with the brilliant idea of uh, guest starring Spider-Man. 
Now, Jim Salakrip also happened to be the Spider-Man editor, so he was able to get permission from the Spider-Man editor himself <laughs> right. to guest star Spider-Man in the Transformers. Okay. So that was easy. The hard part was getting Hasbro to agree. So from our point of view, you know, naive that we were, we thought, well, here we are giving Hasbro the opportunity to feature Marvel's you know, number one character, Spider-Man, in their unknown you know, series of Transformers that nobody's ever heard of before. You know, they should be thanking us. But instead, they prohibited us from using Spider-Man. The reason was, uh, at that time, uh, Marvel had a licensing deal with a rival toy company to produce Marvel action figures of some sort, and Spider-Man was one of them. Oh. So the way Hasbro looked at it was, we were helping to promote their rivals' Spider-Man action figures and that was a no-no. Oh, funny. <laughs> so we were quite shocked when they said, oh, we don't want Spider-Man in Transformers. Like, wow. You're kidding us, right? You know, we're doing you this great favor and you don't want us to feature Spider-Man, but we figured out a way around it. So recently, Spider-Man had acquired the famous black and white costume during the Secret Wars miniseries, mm -hmm. this, this black and white alien costume. So we said, um, what if we show him in the black and white costume because the black and white costume Spider-Man is not an action figure. And so Hasbro was okay with that. So that's why Spider-Man is in issue three and in his black and white costume and not his traditional red and blue costume. <laughs> but he eventually got a black and white action figure. Oh, yeah, but I, don't, I mean, I, I don't know the history of um, of licensing action figures from Marvel, but it was after that comic book, so it yeah. didn't matter. You know? <laughs> whether, just, it was, whether it was a rival toy company or not, it didn't yeah. matter. That's funny. That's really good. There's a couple of funny things, funny bumps along the way when you're dealing with licensing companies because, you know, we look at things one way and they look things, it's like t cultural differences, you know, like you go to a different country and you might say something very innocently or have some innocent, uh, innocent uh, gesture with your hand or something. It's completely interpreted differently when you're in a different culture. Same thing for, for uh, corporate cultures, you know, like we look at Spider-Man one way, Hasbro looks at it a completely different way. So yeah, it yeah. Of, it was I kind of amusing. It. You know, but we worked, we worked it out. That was the important thing. That's good. And at what point did you, uh, did, was it you who got to decide to change the mini into an ongoing series or was, did that come from somewhere else? Nobody was prepared for the success of the Transformers at Marvel. So of course, you know, from Hasbro's point of view, they're launching a brand new toy line. They're hoping for the best. They don't, but really they don't know either. But the, um, the comic book, the toy, the, uh, I guess the animated series on, on television, everything took off you know, spectacularly. So when the sales figures started coming in, Marvel decided, I don't remember exactly when, but I think it was sometime during issue four because we came up with a different ending. Marvel decided to continue it into issue five and make it an ongoing series. And in fact, I didn't remember this until somebody pointed it out recently. We had an ending to issue four where everything got resolved. And when at some point we were told no, this is going to be a continuing series. We changed the ending from issue from we changed the ending in issue four from this this you know complete resolution of everything to a cliffhanger ending. Uh, so it, can, it would it would lead into issue five. Uh, and the only reason I, I I'm aware of that, even though I was the editor of it way back when, is that somebody pointed out to me recently that the original ending got printed in England. Like we would ship over our, our copies of our film to England, and they would reissue our comic books for uh, the British market. And so uh, when the change was made, the comic book was already done, the film went out, and, and so the change that was made here in the U.S. never made it into the English version. 
So the English version actually comes to that complete ending. Oh, wow. And somebody um, <laughs> sent me, uh, an, somebody, somebody sent me an image of that recently. And I said, oh, I forgot all about that. Wow, that's amazing. So, so it must have been a last-minute thing because we, we did finish the, uh, the original ending. What's interesting about the that the ending that you that that got eventually printed is that Shockwave kind of takes over, and then you have a Transformer book that doesn't have Megatron in it, and Optimus is just ahead; he's barely in the book at all. Why why did you want to take out the two main characters when you changed this to an ongoing series? I don't know. <laughs> it was 1984; it's a long time ago. Yeah, Please, yeah, I realize that for sure. I, I guess I mean I, I guess what I was looking to do was just shake things up in a really big way. Like mm-hmm. you know, we we promised you a mini series, but even better now we're going to go an ongoing series. And everything you think you know, we're just going to tear it apart and like you know give you some shock ending. And you know the book did great; people loved it. And that I go to conventions to cover for that issue for issue number five, mm-hmm. the, the first issue of the ongoing series, which shows shockwave uh the smoking gun and on the wall is like has uh, scrawled the uh, autobots are all dead or something like that yeah people more than any other issue that i was that i was involved with they come up with that book you know to get signed or you know they 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 they, they love that comic book and they love that cover um so i think it really made an impact on uh, a large part of the uh, transformers audience at that time that uh, we did that but you know, as as in so many stories like that, you move every you move everything down to the you know like you're at point zero and you got this big hole to climb out of, and eventually the Autobots uh, climb out of the hole. Megatron you know reappears as a primary villain and so on. So mm-hmm. you you, uh, you bring things back to a certain status quo. Now, did you pay attention to what was happening in the cartoon series because your continuity in the comic book is very different than the than the cartoon? So let me tell you about my relationship to the car- cartoon. I've okay. never watched an episode. Okay. So that, that kind of sums that up. Yeah. But the one connection I have to the cartoon is I was still creating all the character profiles and naming everybody. So anything that I would turn in would eventually go to Hasbro for their approval. And on, on occasions, they would ask for changes for this or that reason, typically on names, because they would have to go through a legal process to make sure the name's cleared and I could use them uh, to name a character and they could use it on a toy box. But once everything got approved... Uh, that I turned in, that material got then sent over to uh, Sunbow Productions, who produced the animated series, and then they did whatever they wanted with it. They, you know, if they wanted to use the characters the way I profiled them, then fine. If they wanted to do something different, then they did something different. I have no clue. Hmm, so we did not coordinate beyond me, beyond me providing the profile information and the right. names. So I think, as I understand it, the first year the, the uh, animated series and the comic book were similar in the sense that they they had a common um, uh, setting, you know, which was, I guess, with Earth and the w- Wiki family and so on. And then I believe after the first year of the animated series, they changed it radically. They moved it off of Earth, I think, or, they, you know, I, I don't know, they did something. Mm-hmm. And I was asked by Hasbro, do I want to follow the, the, this new continuity that the animated series was creating? And I said, well, if I don't have to, I'd rather not. And they said, okay, that's, that's fine. So I, didn't, I went my way, and the animated series went their way. Nice. Okay. And then when, when the movie came out, which was around issue 17 of your, of your, your comic book, um, did that have any effect on the way you were writing as well? Or was it the same thing as uh, Hasbro's like, yeah, just, you just keep on doing it? No, not doing. really, because, because the movie, again, was in a different setting. Yeah. So and they and, and they they they, they uh, you know like 
Optimus Prime was killed off and Megatron got replaced by Galvatron. You know, it's just like, okay, so they're, they're shaking things up for the purpose of this movie, but I'm not going to shake up the entire continuity and what I'm doing in the comic book, mm -hmm. uh, for, you know, just to follow what the movie's doing. So I just went my, I went my way and, you know, the movie was another, yeah, another reality, another, you know, alternate reality or something or future reality for Transformers fans not, not my reality that's so great that you're able to do that because so many times the, the, the books that support the, the rest of the franchise are you know there, there's no wiggle room to, uh, to do anything of your own because it has to tie into whatever's going on the other side so that's really cool that you got the opportunity to, uh, to, to really explore and do your own thing I, I guess so I, you know it made, made my life easier I'm sure if I were if I were dictated too much, I, mean, I wasn't dictated to to a, to a large extent because they, they kept introducing new toys, right. and I'd have to make room for them in the in the comic book one way or another. So there was that there was that pressure. But if I was dictated too much, like you got to do this, you got to do that, I probably would have walked off the book a lot sooner because mm -hmm. at some point it becomes I'm just following somebody else's directions and not doing what I want to do and what's the fun in that. But uh, anyway, it didn't happen, so I stayed on the book for about fifty issues. Can you tell me about Circuit Breaker? Okay, well, I had an idea for creating a human uh, antagonist for Transformers. I mean, to me, what made writing the Transformers interesting to me was this, this duality of, you know, here you have giant alien robots on one side and humans on the other side. And wherever I can find uh, some friction between them, you know, whether it was conflict or just like misunderstanding each other, not understanding the, the habits and culture of one, one party or the other party. That's where I found the area of most interest for me. So at some point, I guess around issue nine, perhaps, I don't remember exactly, I created this character called Circuit Breaker, who had a real, bit, who had a real big grudge against the Transformers because I believe she was accidentally crippled by them. And so uh, there you go. You know, I, I, I like the name. You know, I thought it was a cool name for the time, uh, Circuit Breaker. And um, uh, the one weird thing I did, which some fans have asked me about over the years, and maybe you're aware of this, maybe you're not, is that she actually first appeared in the Secret Wars 2 miniseries in one panel. I don't know if you're aware of that. I, did, I was not aware of that. Yeah, and the reason for that, um, again, I went to my boss, Jim Shooter, who was, who was, who was the uh, writer on, Se on Secret Wars, and uh, I happened to be the editor of it. I asked if we could feature Circuit Breaker for, you know, briefly before she appeared in Transformers. The reason being, if she had appeared in Transformers comic book first, then Hasbro would own the copyright to her. So if I got her into a Marvel comic first, then Marvel would own the copyright. And then I, I had, you know, I had, the, I had the idea in my head that, you know, she's a pretty good character. Maybe I'd want to use her down the line in something else that's not Transformers. Uh, never happened, but I wanted to keep that option open. Right. So that's why she first appeared in a Marvel comic before uh, in Marvel Secret in Marvel Secret Wars before she appeared in um, Transformers. But anyway, wow. I, getting back to the bigger question, which is, you know, I wanted to have a, a human antagonist that would, you know, could hold her own against uh, the Transformers. And it was Mike Manley who came up with the design of her character, or did you? Because I know that you're an artist as well. You do. You've done a lot of. No, uh, I came up with the design. I, I came up with the design. Okay. I have I have the original somewhere in my basement. <laughs> nice. I came up with a very detailed design. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure yeah. to the chagrin of many of the pencilers who were forced to to draw her. <laughs> it's a pretty complex oh, yeah, outfit. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, Transformers uh, was was not a pencil's delight by any means. It was a challenge. And I know, um, you know having met a, a couple of Transformers artists in you know, at, at Transformers conventions in recent years, you know, a whole generation of uh, artists grew up loving the Transformers and loving drawing robots. But the artists that I worked with back in the 1980s, they like drawing people generally. So following tons of all of this reference material to try to accurately depict these uh, these toys uh, as characters in the comic book, it was not something that necessarily uh, pleased them. But they did their best. Yeah. So, uh, did your writing style? Did you use the the Marvel method of writing, where you just give um, a plot and hand it over to the the artist to plot out, and then bring it back and oh, then yes. you do the script yes. over top? Yes, I certainly did. Yes. Now, did that process yeah. change? Because you had a quite a few different artists, especially in these early days. You had a bunch of different artists kind of come in and out. Um, did your method of working change depending on who you were working with? Not really. You know, being an artist myself, my, my plots tend to be somewhat visual. You know, I'm, I'm looking for those big those big scenes that, you know, like that, uh, that moment that really, st- you know, uh, stands out. So I try to give my artists opportunities to really uh, go crazy, you know, get, get really crazy and, and, and imaginative in their uh, in their drawing. I, but I, I would do that with any artist. It would it, would, it really didn't matter. But, you know, if I look at if I went back and looked at my plots from back then, I'm sure the plots to um, issue eight, where I had one of these artists, like you said, that was only there for a short time, compared to what I drew, what I wrote for um, Jose Delbo, who was on the book for many many issues. I'm sure there wasn't that much difference. The only real difference was I was pretty new to writing. You know, this is like my first regular writing gig mm-hmm. uh, at a Marvel book. Um, I had plotted some stories, but I hadn't written scripts. So I quickly realized that my plots were way too dense. The, I don't know if you realize it, but the first issue I wrote, which was issue five, was actually issues five and six. And without telling me, my editor at the time split the issue in two and made it a two issue made it two issues instead of one because I had too much plot. So he was correct. It was too much plot for one, you know, for just one issue. So it was split into two. I wish he had told me because then I might have paced, I might have paced the ending to the first half of it a little differently. But he never, he never even bothered to tell me. He just, he just split the, the plot in two and gave it to the artist for two issues. Right. Wow. <laughs> that, that's very interesting. But I guess, yep, yeah, that's what the editor is there for, right? Mm, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> no the, the editor is there to communicate with his creative staff. This is a fairly new editor, and I, I. Uh, I fault him for that. You know, I, I, I approve of his decision, right. but I fault him for not involving me in it. Right, that, I guess that, so. that was a mistake. Yeah. I would never, I mean, I was an editor for a long time at Marvel. I would never do that to a writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, if I, if you get back to the writer, you know, and say, hey, I want to split this into two issues. I think there's enough, enough story here to make two issues out of it. I would, as an editor, I would want to work with the writer and say, hey, this is what I, here's why I want to do this. Here's why I want to split it. And is there anything we should tinker with to make it more appropriate for two issues instead of one issue? I, you know, the writer is usually very cooperative and collaborative. I mean, that's my work out there. I want to represent it as best as it could possibly be re- represented. I don't want somebody kind of like just ripping it in half and saying, you know, oh, by the way, <laughs> now that it's published, by the way, <laughs> right? I, I yeah, yeah that's too. not I, cool. Yeah, <laughs> very true. Yeah. So no, I, I fault him for that. Who's your favorite? I'm sure you get asked this all the time. Who's your favorite Transformer? <laughs> Whoever I was writing that month, I don't know. Um, I, I, I wrote some good stories with Blaster. So as a writer, he was the character who uh, I think I enjoyed writing the most, Blaster. Hmm. 
But, you know, I know given the movies and the animated series, they emphasize different characters. Uh, that's irrelevant to me. Again, based on the stories I wrote, and not, not how, how much fun the toy was or anything else, just on the stories, uh, I enjoyed writing him. Right, right. That's really cool. Okay, there is this character, Donnie Finkelberg. Can you tell me a little bit about creating Donnie? Because he's pretty interesting. Oh, okay. So, as I recall, the U.S. government needed a front to try to explain away, you know, why there were these mysterious, dangerous-looking robots roaming around the U.S. So they hired uh, an out-of-work comic book writer. Is that, is yep. that about accurate? Mm-hmm. That, Okay. <laughs> so, you know, I was just kind of using my experience working at Marvel. Like, okay, I know what a comic book writer is like, and I know, uh, you know, and I, I just thought it'd be fun to uh, smoke screen, you know, why, why are these robots here? You know, like the idea that the U.S. government couldn't be honest about it, because if they were honest, they would say, there are these immensely powerful robots that are completely out of control that we have, you know, that we can't, we can't stop. You know, it makes it make it makes the uh, the government look you know rather uh, inept and uh, and weak and uh, you know might terrify people. But if they can create some other storyline to kind of distract people from what's really going on, they can control the narrative. So that was that was the idea behind Donnie Finkelberg. And I will say it was somewhat of a homage to my fellow Marvel editor uh, at the time, Danny Fingeroff. I was wondering about that. Yeah, so Danny and I went to high school together, and, <laughs> and uh, we were friends back in the day, so I, uh, I don't know how much he enjoyed being depicted that way, but <laughs> it was made to look like him, and <laughs> the name was, uh, you know, basically uh, twisting his name a little bit to become Donnie Finkelberg. That's funny, yeah. And I did give him, I did give him a, a, a somewhat noble ending, you know, as unbelievable as it might be, but he, he earned some money from his, you know, from this ill-conceived uh, government job that he took, and he then donated the money to repairing the Statue of Liberty. Hmm. And I think it was only in the thousands, and probably the repairs would have cost well into the millions. So <laughs> it was probably, you know, nowhere near reality as far as repair, doing the repairs on the uh, Statue of Liberty. But I, I, I gave him like a, a you know, like a, a heroic ending in that sense. So I didn't want to leave him as just some kind of selfish, you know, craven sort of individual who would do anything for a buck. Right. I gave him a, a, a noble ending. So at the same time, these Transformers comics were also being reprinted in uh, the UK, but they were they would split up the the issues into smaller chunks. Did that affect your writing? Did you take that into account? Like, you know, by page eleven? No, no, not no. No, I have no idea what they were doing there. No, okay. in fact, my first job at Marvel was working for the Marvel British Department, where we did the exact same thing. Before Marvel British Department moved moved actually to London. It was work, it was done out of the Marvel offices, and um, we did the exact same thing with the Avengers and Spider Man and Iron Man and all all the traditional Marvel comics. We split them in halves, and we have to create a second splash page for the second half. And that's a literal tail wagging the dog. Nobody paid attention on the uh, state side to what was happening in the UK on these reprints. Okay. <laughs> um, did you write any new content for the UK pages at this time, or was it strictly all no, reprints? No, I was not involved whatsoever. Okay. No. No, in fact, people people have asked me. I mean, I was at a panel, and Simon Furman is the the, the British writer who first started doing fill-in stories on the, the British Transformers comic book. And uh, I remember being at a panel with him, and somebody asked me, you know, and I'm sitting right next to Simon, who's a friend of mine, a good friend of mine. I'm sitting right next to him, and somebody asked me, so did you ever uh, read the read read Simon's stories in the in the British Transformers? 
And I basically, you know, without missing a beat, oh, I didn't know they existed. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right in front of Simon. Like, I mean, basically it's true. It's like, like you know, it was, I was kind of joking at Simon's expense, but, you know, like it could have been on Mars. I don't, you know, I'm just doing my, I just got to work on what, what's in front of me, which is I have to get out a story every month in the Marvel American comic book mm-hmm. uh, of Transformers. I can't be concerned about the British, re, the British reprint schedule and the fill-in stories they're doing. You know, I mean, it was a, I'm sure it was a challenge for Simon to figure out how to put in some fill-in stories that wouldn't, you know, intrude on whatever continuity I was creating. And I'm sure he did a marvelous job, but I wasn't paying any attention to it. <laughs> So would you consider, was writing Transformers fun for you, or was this just a job? Um, oh, it was a lot of fun. Oh, I definitely, I mean, one of the things that appealed to me about writing Transformers as, a, as, a, as compared to writing a mainstream Marvel comic book is that I had my own sandbox to play in. You know, nobody could tell me that there's 20 years of continuity that I got to pay attention to before I write the next story, like like I would have to be aware of if I were writing Spider-Man or Thor or something like that. I could just pretty much do what I want, you know, within limits, obviously, but I was able to uh, extend the uh, Transformers uh, universe uh, mythology in all different directions. I was able to bring in characters as I saw fit. You know, it was a lot of, was a lot of freedom there. The part that intruded on my freedom was, as I mentioned earlier, Hasbro kept introducing new lines of toys with the expectation that they would soon be introduced into the comic, into the comic book. Because the comic book to them, obviously, was just a promotional vehicle to sell toys. Right. You know, they didn't really care about the continuity that the Marvel writing was developing would be um, smashed every time they bring in another 20 toys. You know, <laughs> you know pick up the pieces and, and start all over again, for, pretty much. So that's where I started burning out. So when you ask, like, was it fun or was it just a job? I mean, it was really both. I mean, it's always just a job because you are you are being hired to do something. But I did it to the best of my ability, and most of the time it was fun. But as the years went on, and more and more lines of toys kept coming up, where I had to figure out a way to get them into the book and move out, move aside all the other characters that I was working with, uh, it became more of a burden, and I was burning out on it. And I was looking, I was looking to leave after uh, a few years. Hmm. One of the things that you did during, I think it was issue 17 and 18, is you reintroduced Cybertron. We hadn't really seen a whole lot of Cybertron other than like the first issue or so. Was That was an instance where you could just bring in a whole like 20 characters or something like that without any problem. Um, what were you hoping to, uh, I know this is, you know, back in the 80s, but uh, what were you hoping to accomplish with Cybertron, like the, the, the look and the style and... and uh, kind of its place in the mythology well okay so I'm, I'm, two, I'm going to touch on two things uh, first the real reason for those stories you already answered you already gave the answer to which was I had to bring in another 20 toys or whatever 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 number it was right so I had to create a scenario where where these characters that shouldn't be on earth somehow make it to earth so I created this um, bridge to nowhere the space bridge that allowed them to come from um, to, from uh, Cybertron to earth so that was the real trigger to coming up with that storyline. So it gave me the opportunity uh, to show off Cybertron, as I saw it anyway. So Cybertron was this, you know, world in chaos, you know, falling, you know, I, I guess there was a rather uh, post-apocalyptic sort of feel to it, uh, warring factions of Decepticons and, and Autobots and, and innocent Transformers sort of caught in between sometimes. Uh, you know, I, I would probably have to say that at that time when I kept those stories, I'm guessing 
the timeline would have been probably soon after I saw the Terminator, the first Terminator movie. Mm, okay. I'm guessing, you know, which which I probably picked up that vibe of this kind of post-apocalyptic technological world from some of the scenes of the future in Terminator in, the, in that first Terminator movie. Right. So I want to create a Cybertron where not everybody was living happily in a house behind a white picket fence where there was these, these warring factions that had been carrying on this conflict for, you know, untold years and uh, make it very dramatic and, uh, and bring a level of, of drama and suspense to, to the scenes on Cybertron. So that wasn't, you know, that there were things going on that really, that really meant something. And in fact, um, even though I was saying earlier, I really liked bringing, bringing the, uh, the human versus transformer element into my stories. Actually, it, my favorite story is the, um, the first of those Cybertron stories, which has no humans in it, I don't think, uh, which is um, called The Smelting Pool. Yeah. I just liked the way that story flowed and the structure of it, and the, it was very dramatic, and it really played up the conflict that was going on. Yeah, yeah, that one's a, a, definitely a highlight in first half of your run on Transformers. Now, you were working on other stuff at the time, too. Right? You weren't solely the Transformers guy at, at this point, um, you were you were still working on um, some of the other Marvel books at the time, right? Uh, so I was a staff editor, and I was uh, I was I had a full time staff editor job, and yeah. um, and Transformers when I was writing it, not when I was editing it, but when I was writing it, that was work that was considered freelance. So I did that after hours and on weekends. Oh wow! So yeah, I was doing a whole other job. I mean, that was that was very common back then for a lot of Marvel writers and artists who were editors. You know, they would they would have their their day job, and then they would go home and do do freelance work of one sort or another. And that kept up all the way through your run on Transformers. Like you, you stayed on the Marvel yeah. staff. Yeah, I was a, I was a Marvel editor from um, 1983 to 1996, wow. and uh, I was a Transformer writer from '84 through uh, '89. So nice. the whole time I was writing Transformers, I was an editor. That's a lot of work. <laughs> Um, one of your first kind of regular pencilers who who lasted for more than you know two issues or so was um, was Don Perlin, and he's a uh, kind of one of the legends of the '70s. Can you tell me a little bit about like, what it was like working with Don? Oh, Don was great to work with. You know, Don would Don would do anything. Like you know, you, you gave him any challenge, and he would do his best. So he's very pleasant to work with. There was one story that I did, and it was. Uh, Oh, I'm trying to remember the title of it, but it involved this disease called scraplets. And the cover to that issue, so the scraplets were these little um, size of like nuts and bolts, you know, like these little things that uh, was like a virus to transformers, to robotic life forms. Uh, in this particular story, uh, Don uh, was asked to draw these scraplets and had a very, I had a very good idea of what I wanted them to look like. Uh, and I described it in, in the plot that I wrote, but he didn't quite get it. So what I did was I drew the cover. So the cover shows Blaster's head really large and upside down and scraplets crawling all over him. What I was going for was this kind of mischievous but evil-looking uh, feel to all of these scraplets. You know, like, like you know, they're going to create mayhem, even though they're super tiny. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're endless of there's an endless number of them and they're climbing over this blaster who's helpless. So I did the cover and then I showed it to, to, to Don and then immediately he went back and went to the interior pages of the book that he had drawn 
and then adapted the style that I was going for to what he was doing. So he was really easy to work with and very open to ideas. That's great. Yeah, that's issue number uh, 29 with the Scraplets. Yeah, just looking at that cover now, it's really good. So you drew this cover. Did you draw most of these covers? No, I drew about five of the covers oh, okay. um, over the years. But what I also did was I laid out, I did a sketch uh, for other artists to draw from most of the covers of the books that I wrote. So I would generate a cover sketch, which was a common way of doing covers for uh, any Marvel book. Somebody would do a sketch, usually an art director, or if the editor had artistic talent, the editor would do it. they do a quick sketch, and they would give it to the uh, cover artist. So almost all the covers uh, of all the, of the books that I wrote, not all of them, but almost all of them, were based on sketches that I generated initially, and then... Like I said, it was about five, I think, that I drew myself. So typically, if it involved a human, a prominent human, I would draw it. <laughs> not always. And it's certainly not in the case of the scraplets where there are no humans on the cover. But other other covers which featured like Circuit Breaker, featured, um, uh, I forgot her name, uh, Buster's girlfriend, uh, who's like underwater, escaping a, a, sh- a shark Decepticon, mm-hmm. about to swallow her up. Um, so any pl- anything that would feature, you know, humans, uh, I, I I might just say, okay, I'll just draw this one myself. Nice. <laughs> so I did about, like I said, about five of them. Oh, the, I, I drew I drew the uh, the infamous uh, Buster Witwicky in the car and the car wash of doom cover again, <laughs> yeah. two prominent uh, <laughs> yeah. human characters on it and Rat Bat. Um, out of all of the little subsets of Autobots and Decepticons. I'm talking like the, you know, the um, Constructicons, the Dinobots, Insecticons, and the, like the Predacons. Which is your favorite little subset that you like to work with? <laughs> well, uh, I, I would say I picked, a, I picked the Dinobots only because I had fun coming up with their names. I, I didn't really, as far as who I wanted to work with, as far as story storylines, I don't know if any of them stand out in my, in my memory. Yeah. You know, but I liked... The Dinobots. Well, I liked them for. I did like writing them because they were somewhat perverse by by Autobot standards. Because all the other Autobots uh, kind of gave a damn, but the the Dinobots didn't really give a damn. Like you know, <laughs> yeah. oh, we're on Earth. There's humans here. They're kind of in our way. You know, we don't really care about them. So they were they were they were pretty um, you know, nihilistic in that in that in that, nihilistic. I should say in that in that sense that they you know they didn't care what kind of chaos that they created on Earth. Right. Uh, to uh, achieve their goals, so they were a little, they were fun to write, to work, to write, but I also cut, like coming up with their names. In preparing these episodes here, I'm actually reading through these Transformers comics for the first time. I loved watching the cartoon as a kid, but I never got into the comics, so I'm reading them now, and uh, and I'm just loving them. They're they're fantastic. It's such um, they're treated way more, um, just I think way more mature than the cartoon ever was. And I love it. So, and I've read, read the first half of your run now. So that's why my questions are all focused on the first half here. And I think we'll probably have to have another conversation when I get finished with the okay. second half, so that uh, we can we that's can talk fine. a little bit a bit more about the behind the scenes of that. And, and thank you. That's very flattering. That that so many years later you can read these books and find that they you know that they have significance and you know value for you. That's that's great. You know because. I, I did. I, I never wrote down to, you know, this is for little kids. You know, I did try to keep that in mind, but I, I you know, I didn't oversimplify. I tried to put real stories with real people in there, and uh, you know, and, and real whether people, whether they're human or 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 transformers, but 
you know, make, you know, put some emotional content in where I could. And so I'm here. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. And, and myself as a, I'm in my mid thirties now and uh, I, I just, I love comics. So that's not a stretch for me to read these. And, uh, and just going back and discovering new stuff from the era that I, you know, when I was an eight-year-old or whatever, um, it, it's just, it's fantastic. And so, yeah, I appreciate the fact that I get to also chat with you uh, and learn more about the behind the scenes because that is very interesting to me as well. Oh, yeah, well, it's always fun to have these sort of uh, interviews. I, I, I enjoy it too. I always feel like there seems to be an audience out there for this kind of material. And if I can supply things to this audience, you know, since I have a kind of unique perspective uh, because of my involvement, then uh, I'm happy to do so. Now, I want to also give you an opportunity to promote or plug anything that you are working on now that you might think that uh, you'd like to tell our listeners about. Go ahead and plug away. Plug away. Well, sadly, I don't have anything really to plug. Okay. My only involvement with comics these days is twofold. One is I get invited to conventions occasionally. You know, you know, I might I might attend a convention if uh, if I'm invited and somebody pays my my airfare or my hotel or whatever. And I do art commissions. So if people want to contact me, a commission on some comic book related uh, ca- characters that I did a long time ago, I'll do that. You know, but I'm kind of. I have a, 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 a somewhat of a list of a backlog of uh, commissions to do, but any case, uh, so that's really it. I'm not plugging any books. I don't have any books coming out. I'm not working for any publishers. I just do some commissions on the side, uh, but I have a day job that's not comic book related, and so uh, where I can, I, I'll, I'll do commissions. And so, if anybody in your audience is interested in me doing some commissions for them, uh, find me on Facebook and send me a message, and I'll, I'll get back to that person. Fantastic. And do you have any conventions coming up that you'll be at? Not at the moment, no. I okay. did a couple earlier this year, and uh, I actually cut back for the rest of the year. Uh, I've been asked about a couple, and I, I had to turn them down for uh, various reasons. So not at the moment. Thanks, Bob, for talking with us today. Um, I had a great time com- uh, just talking about Transformers. Oh, you're welcome. My, my pleasure. My pleasure.